Welcome to Volpreneur Podcast Channel. My very special guest today is Tracy Bissett. As the president of Chief Financial Fitness Trainer of Bissett Financial Fitness, Tracy educates and empowers entrepreneurs to take control of their life and their financial lives with confidence. As a former executive of TD Bank, one of Canada's biggest five banks, Tracy has worked with and supported thousands of entrepreneurs to secure the financing they need to grow their business. This, this hands-on experience coupled with her formal financial education, Masters of Business, Business Administration, Chartered Financial Analysis designation, position Tracy uniquely coaches entrepreneurs about their all, all things money. Tracy leads in, uh, speaking engagements in the executive producer and host of the host Young Money podcast, which is all focused on increasing financial fitness. Recently named a finalist for the IFSE Institute Award for Financial Literacy Champion, through the Wealth Professional Awards 2020 and Worldwide Finance Awards 2020 winner. Welcome, Tracy. Well, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here with you. Cool. <clears throat> so um, what got you, sometimes we ask questions about what got you into this mess now, right? So <laughs> what, what sort of led you to do where you, where you got now? Because, I mean, for me, I started, I was like 15 when I started in the bank. So I worked in a bank, a major bank in um, back in the 80s and I spent there 12 years and I sort of got out and got into the IT industry and then the marketing stuff. So I sort of like use the bank as a foundation, I guess, to of training because there's so much stuff you get learn, you learn in a bank, not just about money, but you learn about, you know, discipline and procedures and all sorts of stuff. So what got you to where you got? Was it <clears throat> something that happened along the way or is it, did you always want to just say, oh, I'll just join the bank and stay there for the rest of my life and retire in a pension? What was the plan? Well, I was actually very entrepreneurial as a child. Uh, so I learned very quickly around the age of six or seven that you could use money to get stuff that you wanted. So I was outside um, selling dance lessons, creating little clubs for kids. I had lemonade stands. I had garage sales, all that kind of stuff so I could get money to go to the corner store. Then when I was a little bit older, I did babysitting, waitressing, all kinds of things, and uh, was involved with Junior Achievement, which is a great way to learn about selling. It's a program we have in Canada. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have it there, but you really learn all the dynamics of running a business. And then I thought, well, I'll go to business school, and then I'm going to work at a bank just for a couple years. I'll, I'll give it a chance and learn some things. And then I envisioned I would go very quickly from there into my own company or work with one of my customers' companies. Uh, and then fast forward 16 years later, and I was still in banking. Uh, and as you said, you learn such great things. And one of the key themes across all my different roles in the bank was the great people that I worked with. Uh, either in in the staff like on my team or the customers that I was servicing uh, and so I really enjoyed it and then as things happened my role was eliminated so I thought instead of taking another banking role how can I put all the things I like to do together uh, so I like teaching I like helping people learn about money I love working with entrepreneurs uh, so I created my business so I, I work with young adults as well as entrepreneurs as you mentioned and uh, I'm also a professor at a college in um, in Canada so it's really fun and uh, lots of enjoyment every day well and I think the thing interesting thing is that usually you know, when you like if, when people lose their jobs or something major happens to them, they look back and realize it was a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and rather at the time it was a bad thing, right? Like I've got a block of, you know, I've lost my job and stuff like that. But I think in, a lot of times those sort of events in your life are designed to actually push you to the next level and you don't even realize what's happening until 10 years later. 
Yeah. And I probably realized pretty quickly I was um, working a lot and I wasn't that happy in my role. Mm. Um, I, I received a really fair severance. So it gave me time to think and I really made the most of it. So yeah. uh, kind of started picking and choosing the things I like to do and things have evolved a little bit over the years, but um, the core parts are the same. And I'm, I'm really happy that I made that leap. And it's interesting you made a comment about time to think, right? Like a lot of people dive into things probably a little bit too quick and then commit themselves. And then because they've kind of got ego, I guess, kept steps in and you think, oh, well, I'm going to stick to this because it's my idea and it's going to work. And, and you actually didn't have any foundation in the first place. So you hadn't spent any time thinking about it. So I think it's it's probably an important thing if, you, if you're moving from one transition to another is to just to spend a bit of time thinking about it. Um, yeah, certainly that's what I um, advise my clients who are thinking about starting businesses, even as a side hustle while they're still working to see if they like it. Do that business plan, validate your idea, figure out that it makes sense um, before you start uh, quitting your job, before you sink your time, your savings into that. Make sure it's a good idea. Make sure you even like being an entrepreneur. And that's a, a good way if you do it on the side, you can see if you like doing all of those different things because there are so many hats to wear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think today we're going to talk about one of the important ones about money. And I think that part, um, I think as an entrepreneur, you can be destroyer of, of destroyer of lives <laughs> because what can happen is you end up in a financial situation. It's almost like gambling and you can end up just pouring, pouring more and more money into something. And you realize that you shouldn't have, you know, look back and you think, oh, gee whiz, you know. I remember a guy um, that I had a business partner with uh, as of early days and he, um, he was a lot, he's a bit older than me, about 10 years older than me. And he had a business partner that was actually originally older than him, like about 10, 15 years old. And he older and he, he was in the hospital bed and back in the fact stage, right? So basically this guy <laughs> was on his deathbed. He was about to sort of, like, he wouldn't have long to go really. And he was working. He had the fax machine, had faxes from the fax machine. He's working away. And, and my business partner said, at no point in my life I'm end up, you know, on my deathbed still working. <laughs> and, and so he took it the other way. So he'd leave at five o'clock every day and, and wouldn't put any extra effort in. So he's not my business. He didn't last very long as my business partner anyway, because you can't just work nine to five as an employee and expect to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, yeah, and so, sure. but it was quite interesting. He had that shock that, <clears throat> you know, he didn't want to be on his deathbed working because he saw his, his business partner doing it. So I think it's getting clear about, you know, what, what you really want at the other end of it is probably most people don't think about too much. Yeah. And sometimes people go into entrepreneurship because they don't like managing people. But mm. if you want to grow your business, you're going to have to manage people. And sometimes that's a challenge. Um, but if you want to grow your business um, so that you don't have to work all of the time, so many hours, then you certainly got to get comfortable with that piece. Yeah. I was just say being self-employed means that you have the opportunity to work as long hours as you like. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't like, but you, it's always yeah. on you. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's, it's about like, it's about balance. And I think, so money is obviously an important thing because obviously when you get a situation where a small business operator is starting up and, and money's always tight, I mean, and probably in today's climate, money's even tighter because mm -hmm. um, of what's going on. So one of the things you said something interesting to me was be certain of what you can and can't afford in your business in five minutes or less every time. That was an interesting kind of thing you put in your, your notes. So I said, tell me a little bit of what that, that means. So to me, it all comes down to cash flow. Uh, so it's really important that you understand the cash flow cycle of your business. And what I mean by cash flow is money coming in, money going out, and that timing that it happens. So cash flow cycles differ based on industries. If I'm in an event planning business, I'm going to collect a deposit as soon as I book a contract, and I'm going to collect the rest before, uh, say, a wedding, the day of the wedding. I'm going to make sure I have all my money up front. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm doing consulting services, I probably am getting paid late 
later. And so I might have to pay staff in the meantime while I'm waiting to get paid for my job. And then there's every variety in between. So it's really important to understand how you're going to get paid in your business. Um, understand that timing. And uh, by building out a cash flow forecast, so how much is coming in, how much is going out, and that timing, you can estimate what's the the size of the hole you might have to bridge because um, there is going to be those timing differences and certainly bankers understand that and are willing to help you if you have a plan um, to bridge those gaps um, so knowing that and knowing the facts knowing the numbers once you've got that cash flow forecast set up you can very quickly say what would happen if I hired another person? What would happen if this um, receivable gets delayed another 30 days? What happens to my so, uh, size of the amount I've got to cover? And so you can reasonably um, do some planning in five minutes or less. Uh, highly encourage people to do it. Um, you don't need to do it in a fancy way. You can certainly just use Excel. If you've got very few things coming in and out, you can just do it with a pen and paper. But the key concept is getting comfortable with what is that cash flow cycle. And I find there seems to be a gap sometimes between entrepreneurs always want to look at their income statement or their profit and loss and look at the sales minus their expenses. And so as long as their sales, they're happy, but yeah. depending when you're actually going to get the money for those sales, you could be out of business. And I've seen people go out of business in as quick as 90 days um, because they didn't have any cash coming in, even though they were having lots of sales. Because something puts you under pressure, right? So you, you've got a situation where you owe someone money and you think you can drag them out and then suddenly they put you under pressure and then you've got to find that money and then the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So. Yeah. so in your experience, how many entrepreneurs actually have a cash flow statement? Oh, forecast. Not that many. Yeah. <laughs> Not the ones I work with. So the, the clients that I coach, they're really across all industries. I would say sales up to about $2 million. So not, mm. not super small companies all the time. Mm. Um, but it's just, um, they're kind of doing it mentally in their head. Yeah. I know I've got to pay this, this and this over the next week or two weeks. And they're trying to juggle the math, but that's very tiring. And you can mm. kind of see they're weighed down. They're wearing the stress on their shoulders. They look uh, kind of frazzled. And so I want to take that emotion out of it. Let's get it down on paper. Let's look at it objectively. And then mm -hmm. once we can quantify it, then we can actually problem solve for how do we cover these gaps. And I think it's also, you're not sure about the future, right? So you are guessing in some respects. When you Absolutely. Know what's going on next, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think the, the thing that always happened, always annoyed me <laughs> on the other side of the fence from banking, right? Because bankings always say to you, Oh, well, what's, what's your figures going to be next year? What, you know, all these number things, you know, I have no idea. I'm a small business operator. I'm just completely thing. things happen. Right. And so you don't really know. So they wanted you to predict like six or 12 months in advance. You're going, I'm flat press predicting 30 days in advance, right? Particularly in, you know, this COVID environment where no one knows mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. And I think the danger is, is that you end up in a situation where you do no planning when, when you could do some planning. I know it's very, like, you don't really know sometimes small business when the money's going to come in or when you're going to make the next sale. But it does tend to even out, interesting enough, I found. Averages always come out, doesn't it? Like eventually over about two, three years, things will start becoming, you know, like the average. It's roughly you get this, roughly this happens. For sure. And um, the other thing that comes when you start paying attention to your numbers, uh, another theme I see with the clients that I start working with is when we start digging into the pricing, uh, the products and services are not priced profitably. So they're losing money on everything that's going out the door, whether it's a product or a service. So then they're, they're scratching their head. Why can't I get a steady paycheck? And why don't I have enough cash flow? And so when you start tracking numbers and you're monitoring numbers, you can actually get to the root of the issue and then 
make a plan to solve it. Um, none of us have crystal balls. None of us are going to be making perfect forecasts. Um, but by going through the exercise, we can see very quickly if things are deviating off what we thought, and then we can react accordingly versus just kind of hoping it, it turns out. Or yeah. uh, on the other hand, I see entrepreneurs who don't know the numbers and they're super stressed and they're, they're actually imagining the problem to be worse than it is. Mm-hmm. And a problem that you can't quantify, you can't solve. So mm-hmm. let's reduce the stress levels. Let's reduce the anxiety by quantifying it and then figuring out all of the ways you can solve it. And the earlier you know you might have an issue, the more ways you can potentially solve it. And I think it's a whole situation like, you know, you, if you've got an idea of what's going to happen, at least you can plan and, and you're actually watching numbers. So I think what gets watched gets looked after. And so For sometimes sure. if you're not looking at the numbers, they're never, never going to really change, but they usually improve. I know with marketing, if you if you want to try and improve your marketing results, start tracking them, and and then automatically almost they improve by default. Um, yeah, I've just started doing that, and it's effective. Yeah, uh, it's, like it's for like, uh, webinar like, attendance and and all those kinds of things. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you just tweak it, and I, and there's a an interesting piece of math that I saw a few years ago, and it's it's I'll make sure I get this right. Five minus five minus five equals eighty one. And so, right? So you go, well, that's mathematically impossible, right? And so the theory is if you go 5% increase in sales, 5% decrease in cost of sales, 5% decrease in expenses, you'll actually increase your profit by 81%. Oh, I can I get behind that, yeah. And so what I've always done with clients along the years is like, well, can you increase your, 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 expense, your actual um, prices by 10%? Most people can squeeze out 10%. Oh, oh. for sure. I got a insurance company, you know, medical insurance company decided to say every year, hey, hey, we've got our annual increase now, we're knocking up by three and a half percent or something, right? So those sort of things, a lot of small businesses don't do that. They don't have annual increases. They don't keep up with CPI. They don't mm-hmm. kind of keep the price increase. They just pay, they charge whatever they think people are going to pay. And so just by tweaking those, the massive result is obviously increase, decreasing your cost of sales because that's usually the one that's a big one. Um, and then and going out and decreasing your overhead expenses. And I think it's a massive result. It can actually turn a business that's not making any money to to making uh, to you know make an actual profit down the end. So, yeah, I like how you say that because um, everyone thinks they need to do something radical in their business to change it, yeah. but it's all of these small incremental actions that, when you put them together, mm. more profitability comes. And you can cost cut to some extent. Um, you can fine tune and be more efficient, but the biggest thing that's going to drive your profitability is increasing your sales. Uh, yeah. Once you are, once you know you're profitably pricing, you can't um, just scale and, and hope you're going to become profitable once you sell more. Cause usually if you're losing money on a small amount, you're probably going to be losing money when you increase the sales. Scale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the danger is that if you end up in a situation where you, you're, you're losing money and you don't really know it and then you start expanding and then suddenly that catches you out. You don't realize what the cost of sales is. I mean, and you know, and always to say is go into the major, go to your bank and ask for a better interest rate, a better interest rate. Go to go and get a better merchant rate on your credit cards. Go and get a better rate if you're paying rent. And all those little things can make a massive mm-hmm. difference. Um, particularly for someone sure. actually just comes back and says, um, you know, like okay, then we'll drop the price. So they usually do. Like it's funny. I, probably every couple of years, I ring all the banks up and I ring and I ask them whether they can do a better interest rate, and almost. Every time on the phone they do it, they drop the rates. Yeah, uh, because it's because not that many people ask. No, no hardly anybody ever asks. <laughs> right? and, and so um, it's quite funny. I, I talked to my mortgage my bank the other day and I said, look, um, I noticed the interest rates are coming down. Can you do a better rate before I start shopping around? And they come back and they said, oh, you're in an old package. You know, we can't do anything. And I thought, does that matter to me? 
does it really matter to me that I'm in an old package? Like, do you, do you seriously think that anybody in normal enterprises could get away with that comment? Like, <laughs> it's like... Change my package. <laughs> yeah, change my package. It's like, oh, well, then we'll have to do lots of paperwork, right? So that's trying to chase you away. So it's quite interesting the way that they kind of prevent that scenario by saying, oh, you're in an old package. And I'm like, what does that mean? That means nothing to me. It might mean mm-hmm. something to you, but it means absolutely nothing to me. Um, and so... I, I, there's an interesting talk about getting paid because I think what a lot of business owners don't do is ask for the money up front. Mm-hmm. And, and um, there's a statement I read a long, long time ago. I think it might have been um, one of the granddaddies of kind of like bigger thinking. And he said, poor people get paid at the end, rich people get paid at the start. Yeah. And it's pretty <laughs> rough, right? Because when you start thinking about it, but most contractors, you know, like plumbers, electricians or whatever, they'll come and do the job when they'll ask for the money. And they do all right financially, but if an electrician asked for the money up front, you wouldn't pay it because you say, we've got to do Less the work. Less for materials, I might. Yeah, if you could prove Small it. Small amount, right? yeah. If I'm going to do these PowerPoints when you pay before I do it, you wouldn't get away with it because most people would expect that they have to do the work first. Mm-hmm. And so I think that expectation flows into a lot of you know, coaching services and, and other services. And I've never had a problem asking for money up front. And interesting enough, most people do it. But a lot of people say, oh, I can't cast for the money up front. Well, ask for some of it, like at least ask for something because what happens is I always say it's a, money's like an exchange of energy. If you, don't, um, if you don't have a positive attitude with money, it shows. And then if you feel like if I'm doing a project for somebody and it's all about money all the time, then I'm not focused on the project itself. I'm just focused on the money all the time and then discussions about when you're going to pay me and all that sort of thing become stressful when I should just be pro- focusing on getting the job done. Exactly. And so I too get paid up front <laughs> in my services. Yep. And um, really, uh, it's tied to how you're, you're brought up and your views and the way your family was with money. Um, because people are often hesitant to, as you said, ask for those pricing increases. They're reluctant to ask for the money up front because it's to them a reflection of their worth and they're really emotionally tied to the money. Um, so if you can put a little bit of distance between it, um, know that what you're offering is valuable, make sure you're validating obviously your pricing in the market, uh, but then stand confidently behind it. And um, if that's not your ideal client and they say, no, that's okay. Try to locate your ideal client. Uh, Cause you are going to find this fit where your ideal client wants to pay what you want to charge. And uh, you guys can go from there and you can get paid up front. But I find uh, too many people's issues from when their kids stick with them. And it, it's uh, kind of baggage that comes with you your whole life. Well, you know, the, the scary thing I read somewhere and, and it makes a lot of sense, right? These big CEOs that, that operate these really big businesses, right? Their financial acumen or whatever training is not better than yours in some respects or even worse, right? And particularly, as you say, they've got these things, hang-ups about money. They've taken them forward and they're running multi-billion dollar companies and, and they have no, you know, they have really no clue they're kind of in a balance sheet. So it's, it's very scary when you think about it, that, you know, that people's attitude towards money is weird. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, we have a situation where sometimes people will, um, because they don't want to ask for the money, obviously then or they ask for the money and the client won't pay and then you see a situation, well, I reckon it's a bit like employees, right? Always do always say the employee will, if employee starts because of the money, that they're paying them good money, they'll leave because of the money. And I reckon clients are very similar. If, they, if you start all about money and there's, there's no real focus on what you're going to do for them, then that's almost a warning signal that you're going to have a problem mm-hmm. because sooner or later they're going to go and screw you for the money 
<laughs> they're going to try to get a discount or, or not pay you or do something because it's all about money. And and I think that in some respects, if they if they won't play the game, then yeah, I should run away because they probably will be bad. <laughs> yeah, and that, that just comes back to your your planning about who is it that you like to work with, who is it that you get the best results with, who is your service or your product really targeted to, and and then zeroing in on them and having the confidence to go hard at, at your ideal group versus trying to get sales from anybody. People can tell when you're desperate to close a sale. Yeah, I've been through that when I was very early. I, so. I remember a story where I went to this hardware store because I was selling accounting software and, and they um, they asked about barcodes, right? And and I was probably only been in business about a year or maybe even less. And I hadn't got into point of sale. And point of sale was pretty early in those days. Like in the 90s, it was, you know, electronic point of sale wasn't really big. And he said something about barcodes and I, I sort of like thought, I don't know anything about barcodes. I'll just make stuff up. <laughs> and, and so I basically just tried to make stuff up. And back then you couldn't quickly Google anything. Right? <laughs> and, uh, no. and he goes, that means if you don't know anything, you shouldn't really try and make it up. You know? And so I got caught out real quick. And from that day forward, I thought, no, I'm never going to go into a situation where I don't know what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the danger is if you don't come in strong in the first place and it's almost like this is how it works um, and this is how it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, then, then they will follow you from that point. But if you start making stuff up and trying to find reasons why they've got to pay you and, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's not really great reasons, you haven't got anything pre, pre-planned, if you like, you're not used to it. I think that's the thing. Um, just an expectation that they'll pay. I've never, I think in the last, I don't know, however, but in probably the last three to four years with what I do, we charge a fair bit to do for publishing. People just pay it. They don't question it. Um, it's kind of bizarre when you think about it because other people say, no, I can't get by people to pay. So, well, you're not expecting it. You're, you're kind of like uh, scared yeah. to ask for it or whatever. You're not actually expecting it. you got to set the expectation. Yeah. I deliver this valuable service. You pay me money for this. And yeah. this is the frequency with which you pay me or you pay me up front. And yeah, yeah absolutely true. So uh, it's uh, something that people need to work on. It's their mindset around money so it's a very interesting thing and all of a sudden things pop in there and kind of mess mm. up your mind even when you think you've got it handled it's a kind of a lifelong journey i had a staff member working for me when i was selling accounting software and as soon as we had started having conversations with money she started shaking physically right. shaking she was that i don't know still this day i don't know why she was that stressed about money something had happened so <laughs> i don't know but you couldn't have a conversation more than about two minutes about money it's almost like you had to take it away from her and she had to do it for her because she wouldn't she couldn't cope. She was that bad. Well, yeah, I've had a five-year-old tell me money is evil. Yes. So a five-year-old doesn't really know what money is, but mm-hmm. obviously something We're negative is going on. <laughs> negative going on in the household um, that yeah. makes her think that. So imagine your colleague. What would have gone on in her life mm-hmm. that she has these like uh, physical reactions to yes. just talking about money. So mm. uh, a lot of people are in that, that position. So as, as soon as you can kind of recognize what's caused it and try to work towards moving past it, you can be in more control and have a less emotion tied to your money. And I think have it, it worked for you. Exactly. I think at the end of the day, I always, I always have the belief that money is just energy. Um, it's just an exchange of energy. You give someone some money, they'll go do something for you. And so really you're just moving that energy through the money's not the real thing. I mean, money doesn't really exist anyway. Um, yeah. Only, but what, I read a book recently and it said the only reason money exists is because we all think it is. Because if you <laughs> decide tomorrow that, that the Canadian dollar isn't worth anything, if, if millions of people decided it wasn't worth anything, it wouldn't be worth anything, would it? That's right. So you'd end up in a situation where you'd never, um, you'd never be able to use those dollars. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so financial statements is always a good one um, because I... 
a lot of people, as soon as they hear the words like that, they usually run for a mile and they don't understand how to read them. And I think the re- reality is you don't understand how to read the, the really the, the core pieces of financial data that the, your accountant gives you, for example, and you just tuck it away and you never look at it. I think at the end of the day, that's that's a dangerous place to be because you don't know. Like there's plenty of movie stars that says my accountant ripped me off. You know, I bet you gave him lots of <laughs> statements where he showed them he ripped them off, but they never read them. Right? Likely, yes. Mm. Um, and so it's perfectly natural for anybody who's watching or listening to not have any training around financial matters. Um, entrepreneurs have gone into business because they excel at whatever they do, uh, and financial training wasn't part of it, but it doesn't mean you're not accountable for it. As the, the leader of your business, no matter how many people work in it, you or others, uh, you've got to be the one in charge. So certainly get professional help, employ a bookkeeper, employ an accountant, but you are responsible for what those numbers say. So if you don't understand them, ask questions. Work with a financial coach to get the basics, get your bookkeeper to explain them to you monthly, ask your accountant questions, even if it's questions like, when you look at my statements, what do they suggest to you? Mm. You don't need to know what the answer is going to be. But if they say, well, you know, it seems like you're um, not very profitable on X, Y, and Z. Oh, tell me more about that. What, what are you looking at that makes you think about that? And mm. so having a curiosity and a willing to be accountable for it um, so that you can actually use those numbers to help you set goals, to help you achieve the mile you want in your business and as you said when you pay attention to things you automatically gravitate towards them things start happening if you don't get on the track to those numbers you're probably going to do some problem solving to see what's going on Um, so it's key and I believe everybody should be looking at their numbers monthly and that's their profit and loss which show their sales and expenses as well as their balance sheet so all of the assets that they have the things of value and all of the people they owe money and any equity they've got in the business. And I think the thing that you've got to remember with accounting is that it's typically 12 to 18 months, months old. So Yeah, if we're looking at the year ends. With the yeah, and, and particularly if you only do it annually. But if you're looking at monthly, at least you've got a chance of saying, well, it's only 30 days old. Like it, you can change things in 30 days, but if someone comes to you and gives you a full financial statement for the whole year and then suddenly you look looking and go, well, I'm going broke. And says, yeah, I knew you were going broke, you know, but that was a year ago. <laughs> something yeah. you do about it now, it's completely gone. And I think, yeah, it's dangerous to kind of push those numbers aside and never look at them. But, I mean, when I was in the bank, though, I wish I could find it. I had this course. It was almost like learn accounting in a day, right? (laughs) And it was just like you worked through this workbook and it showed you all the things and it was really well done. I wish I'd... I don't know what happened to it. It was like it had two sides to it. You had a scenario where it told you the information and then you flipped it and it had the questions and you can answer the questions. It was very well put together. And... Even though I was doing accounting, I was doing accounting at, at um, TAFE, I was actually, it actually taught me early on about all that accounting stuff. And so it's not that hard. Like you can learn it in a day. Like you don't need to know, you know, every single, because most of I think accounting is not the problem. It's tax law the problem. Yeah, and nobody needs to be a tax expert. That's why you're going to employ a tax specialist to help you. Uh, so um, I, when I start working with my clients, we go through kind of a crash course in the financial statements. And what is always interesting to me and what they learn very quickly is 
I can see what the numbers objectively say, but they know how it felt when they were living through whatever I'm explaining. Yeah. So if I tell them liquidity is tight, which means you don't have enough money to pay your bills in the short term. Oh yeah. I remember that feeling. I was transferring from my personal to my business account and back and forth. Um, so they've lived it. So when you put the two pieces together, it's a little bit easier to understand, but it's uh, that openness to ask questions and not know everything. Um, as you mentioned, my company is Visit Financial Fitness. So I view it really as not financial literacy, because I think that has a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. wherever you are in your knowledge about um, personal or your business finances, let's build on it and move on that journey to knowing more tomorrow and more the next day. And if we make mistakes, we do, but we're going to uh, not beat ourselves up about it. We're going to keep moving on that journey because one day at a time we can learn more about it and build on the stuff that we already know. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's a journey, money. Like it's not like you suddenly get qualified tomorrow and away <laughs> you go. There's plenty of financial planners out there that are broke. <laughs> um, and I think that's part of the problem is because in some respects, knowing too much can be almost as dangerous as knowing not enough. I think sometimes yeah, and, you, can actually, um, you can actually catch yourself out, you know, by being too smart about it. And then interesting, the way the world is changing, there's new industries always popping up, there's ways you can pivot your business. So nobody knows everything, there's always things to learn. And if you're open to learning, you can move with the trending and, and make sure your business is positioned well. And I've been fortunate to see some entrepreneurs do that as COVID hit, and um, people were struggling, they've made some pivots in their business that really, um, not only did they survive, some were really thriving, because they were able to either double down in something they were doing well, or pivot to a new niche which is great mm. to see. Mm. And I think that's sort of that monthly approach or, and sort of some sort of quarterly kind of review, I think is the way to go. And I think that's, most small businesses get tied up in their, in the day-to-day -day work, don't they? They don't spend a lot of time planning or doing because they're too tied up trying to generate the cash in the first place. Well, I'm a huge advocate of people reviewing uh, something about their numbers every week. If you have to do it monthly, but weekly is a good place to start if you're not doing anything, just like you're going to spend time every week on sales activities, on marketing, um, make it a routine, make it a habit. I'm not saying spend a whole day, but even a half hour every week is going to put you farther ahead than doing nothing. And I think like um, early days, I think when we, when I was running the accounting software company, probably about 10 years ago, whatever, we had some bumps along the road and what we set in place was a weekly report from the, from the um, accountant bookkeeper mm -hmm. to say, just, we needed to know some really basic facts, like about five or six different things. That's all we needed to know. We, like, we didn't really know everything else. And so we just needed to know these five things. So her job was just to give me those five things every, every Friday to see how things were going. So we knew what was going to happen next week because it was a week-to-week -week scenario. Mm -hmm. um, and so it made a big difference because it creates some um, energy around that as well um, because, they, as again, you're starting to watch it, so you've got to, you know, and then that person thinks, oh, gee, I've got to make those numbers look better. <laughs> what can I do? So it actually gets everybody on the road in some respects just by having that. And you don't have to be like 30 different numbers. You just have to be four That's or five, right. if that, um, that make a difference anyway in your business. Yeah, it doesn't need to be complicated or super over-involved. Starting with the basics uh, will we'll go a long way. And even like when we talked about increasing your revenue or fine-tuning your costs, all that adds up and it, it makes your business stronger. Mm. So um, as a, one of the questions I've always sometimes ask my guests is, if you were talking to your younger self, right, so say 20 years ago or you know, maybe 10 years ago, what would, um, what would you say and what sort of piece of advice would you give yourself? Uh, start your business earlier would be my advice. Um, so be brave and confident and 
I still probably would have got the banking experience to some mm-hmm. extent because I learned so much and it was really formative. And I was um, structuring loans for entrepreneurs and then I approved loans for entrepreneurs across all industries for many years, but do less of that and then go out on your own and, and see what you can create and bring into the world yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really rewarding making something out of nothing. And then what I find even more rewarding is who can you help now that you've got this business? Can you employ people in your community? Um, can you, because you do make money profitably, can you take some of your time and volunteer with an organization you like or, or donate some of your funds to that? And that's the part that gets me excited. And just my mission overall is to help um, people learn more about money and so that gets me excited if I can help one person every day learn something they didn't know mm. uh, and make their life a little bit easier it's very rewarding yeah yeah and I think it might and, and for you it's in some respects it's an easier thing to sort of measure in some respects as soon as you get a financial thing in place you can say well I can see the numbers now like in a lot of life situations it's difficult to me- measure your well your level of wellness or whatever because at the end of the day it's just a it's not really a number at the end of the day so I think it's financially it's a not, not much more rewarding area because you can see you know the, the changes well especially too with the young adults um because they're learning so much at one time there our school system in Canada does a really poor job of teaching them about personal finance and anything business finance related. Mm. Um, so even teaching them about their credit scores and how do you check that and what are the kinds of things that it can affect it, you really can shape how their lives are going to go because mm. Maybe they're not going to co-sign with their buddy for that car because they realize they might get stuck on the hook and now they understand that concept. So, mm. um, some of those small lessons that maybe some of us who are a little bit older already know and maybe learn the hard way or, or saw other people learn it the hard way, we can pass that on and, and help people make other choices so they can have the, the most financially fit lives they can. And I think it's interesting, like, when you look at it, because you, you don't really see this thing on mass, really. And one of the things that I saw in Australia when, when COVID hit was that um, the first thing they did is started locking down uh, businesses and saying, look, you can't operate, you're going to have to close your business mm-hmm. until something happens. And, and so what happened was because Australia's got a lot of hospitality, pubs and clubs and all that sort of stuff, that's a, I think, I don't know, 30% of, of Sydney's probably employment outside um, anything else. And so within a day, the lineups at the local um, employment office were down the road, like really long. And it just showed me that those people didn't have any financial plan whatsoever, like no backup at all, <clears throat> because basically they had they had to go and they panicked and went and stood in the line. Yeah, and- we see that here as well. Like Canadians mm. are heavily indebted um, to the extent like higher debt per person than there was at uh, the time of the financial crisis in 2008 in the US. Mm. Um, so we went into it kind of very similar um, over 50% of Canadians couldn't handle one paycheck getting missed. They wouldn't be able to pay their bills. So similar kind of thing. And we're still weathering that. We've had a lot of support thus far, um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're gearing up for a second wave at the time that we're recording this. So yeah. uh, we're, we expect to see more lockdowns come in the coming weeks and months. And we had that sort of thing in, in Australia where Victoria basically um, uh, had a problem because they ended up uh, having to go back into a very very severe lockdowns, and and you see that again. I think there was I think I saw in, in, just recently in the news that England was going back into another lockdown. So the thing is, this thing's not over, and the right. biggest problem is that the government wants to take the life support off. Like with us, they want to start reducing the amount of money they pay and all sort of stuff. They say, well, it's all over now, and I was like, I, I don't think you realise that it's not all over now. It's about ready to start. So I think having that sort of buffer. Um, I remember watching an interview with um, Bill Gates and. Um, and Warren Buffett, 
um, years and years ago. And, and I think Bill probably would have only been in Microsoft maybe 10 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill, um, Bill, it was talking about money and they were talking about the concept of the employees. And he said, what happened was, he said, in the early days when they only had a few hundred, I think a couple of hundred employees or whatever, he said one of the big supply, one of the big customers let them down. They didn't pay them in the end. They had a lot of money coming. They didn't come. And, and Bill sort of started worrying because he couldn't pay he couldn't pay his staff wages. He said, "Well, how am I going to pay these wages?" So it scared him so much that he put a year. He saved up there from that point a year's worth of wages. And so he basically said, "I've got. It doesn't matter what happens. I don't make a single cent in the next twelve months. I still can pay wages." That, that there's a, a good lesson in there. I mean, maybe not the best use of capital, but best no. use of mine. And, um, but the saving concept, certainly more people can take a page out of his book. Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember there was a help document, like a, back in the days when you install win, windows, you used to have a bit of history of Microsoft and I don't do it anymore, but it had the staff levels going that were going. And it was like, they, they had 20, then a hundred, then a thousand, then 10,000 and 20,000. So these numbers were almost going almost, you know, putting a 10 on the end, a zero on the end of them every year virtually. And you can imagine the amount of cash flow that they would have needed to keep that up. Oh, uh, wow. To be able yeah. to survive. And it's like the growth rate's phenomenal um, nowadays. And, and he would have funded that probably mostly from, from money coming in because back in those mm-hmm. days, there wasn't a lot of funding for things. So one of the things that obviously people are going to run into now is when they go to the bank, they're going to have to say, well, how, can you lend me some money? And if they don't have the, the, the right answers at the time, then the bank's just going to say, not, not doing anything. So what, do you, what normally happens with your clients if they go to the bank? What should they be prepared for? What should they know? What should they know? Uh, so I think it's important to have that cash flow forecast ready, especially if you're going to be looking for some kind of bridge financing to cover timing differences. If you're going to be looking for a loan that you need to repay over time, you're going to want to have your financial statements. And you're going to want to be able to speak to, if there were some issues, um, how did you overcome them? What did you learn? What's going to be different going forward? Um, nobody is expecting any entrepreneur to be perfect, um, but they are expecting some kind of learning to take place and a different plan to unfold in the future. Um, certainly, they'll be interested in what happened during COVID. Um, how were you able to adapt? What did you do? Um, what, what happens if there's a second, third, fourth round? What if something else happens uh, that we can't foresee? And so being mm. ready and, and capable of talking about that uh, really goes far in terms of management credibility. Um, If you do have other assets and you really do need the money, you might need to support with some other personal assets. And then I would say look for other sources that may not be um, looking at it as traditionally as as one of the big traditional banks. Uh, We have Business Development Bank of Canada, which is funded by the Canadian government, but it's the bank for entrepreneurs and they do funding um, on a less conservative basis. Mm -hmm. And so they will just do straight working capital loans with a little bit, um, like the rate is going to be higher but it's going to be on my more favorable terms or you're going to get it versus if you went to one of the traditional banks um, so be open to different sources and final piece is make sure you understand what you're getting into um, make sure before you sign any agreements are there any financial covenants that you're required to meet make sure you understand how they're going to calculate it if you know you can't meet it at the time you're signing the deal have a conversation about that don't sign yourself up for something you're already going to be in default of Mm. um, and negotiate with them and there's going to be some flexibility and that just speaks again to management credibility um, because anybody who's just going to sign a piece of paper because they get money and not read the terms um, that money will be taken away once uh, default is shown so Mm. um, don't don't agree to things you can't meet right off the bat 
yeah, optimism is okay in business, but not so much in finance. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes they, they like you, you, you probably jump the numbers up to make it lose. You're not going for a job interview there. You're actually, in some respects, it falls back on you at the end of the day. Whatever you say, it's, it's what's going to count for you. Exactly. And so people who are thinking about starting a business or just starting a business, it is my advice always to my clients to establish credit in the company as soon as possible. Even if it's a small line of credit, a small overdraft, a credit card, um, you're going to get that credit in the first place based on your personal credit history, but start building up the track record for the business. Mm -hmm. So as the business grows, you can grow the credit in the company, Uh, but you can't can't grow it till you start it. So why not do it at the beginning and uh, have it grow with you? And I think the easiest finance is when the bank comes to you and offers you money. I remember <laughs> Bali, we had a we had an overdraft. We had several companies. I was running the accounting software company. One particular company didn't have an overdraft. And we got this phone call from the bank one day and said, we're going to give you a $30,000 overdraft. Just have to sign one piece of paper. And, and what we realized later on was they were trying to achieve numbers. Like obviously they were running short that month. They wanted to get some more lending because you've got to remember the banks actually have targets too. Oh, and, of course. So and, they would have got a new borrower, brand new loan. Yeah, exactly. So it would have hit at least two metrics. Yeah, absolutely. And so they just, they were so easy to like give that money out. They were just like, just sign it the next day you had it, right? If you went to the bank and asked them for that, they would have put you through six months of hell, <laughs> right? <laughs> to get the money. Because what do you want this money for? But because they were giving it out, so if you can be in a situation where they're giving it out, and the only way to do that is you say establish a bit of a credit already, so that, that they are going to offer you something, it's a much easier, it's a much sweeter deal that they'll they'll say, look, we've got this offer for you. Um, and I think it's interesting when you're talking about in Canada where you've got that bank for entrepreneurs is the banking system in Australia is is so old fashioned that they're not set up for entrepreneurs at all. And there was an interesting thing that happened when the prime minister said, look you know, we're going to help out small business in a month's time. So we'll send you some money to help you, but you've got to wait a month, right? And most businesses are going, a month, that's it. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. I'm done, right? And and so basically what he said, well, go to your bank and they'll help you and we'll guarantee half the money, right? So the bank to get ahead of the curve, they said, oh, we'll extend interest for six months. Interest, you know, like you don't have to pay payments, just we'll just accumulate the interest. So they got ahead of the curve and then turned out the banks didn't lend any money at all. From my understanding, oh, they didn't lend any money because what happened was they didn't want to lend money to the entrepreneurs and understand them anyway. And regardless of whether the bank guaranteed or the government guaranteed half of it, they didn't care, right? And so the small business operator had no way to go because the bank was never going to lend that money. Like when I looked at the list of requirements, it's like you wanted them to invest in new stuff. That was the, the requirement. You couldn't actually fund cash flow problems. You had to invest in new stuff, new ideas, and in the middle of a COVID crisis, <laughs> right? Yeah, we were um, we were fortunate. I mean, not all entrepreneurs met the criteria, but they developed different types of loans. They had some that you could use um, to pay for wages mm. um, for your staff, other for rent relief, other for deferrals. And so I was encouraging anyone who qualified to apply, mm. even if you took the cash and you put it in your bank account and you just sat on it, yeah. um, because having some cash reserve is better um, because we don't know like you said before yeah. where things are going and we don't know when the new normal is going to come yeah and so. i think that the biggest thing that i think in small businesses and i've probably been the same way over years is you should build up you know try and build up a, some sort of cash fund that is your emergency fund that you can pull out if you get into trouble and i think that's a danger in small businesses that you don't tend to do that you don't put money away um yeah. and and we were doing like we just put a small amount of money in a different bank account every week and then eventually that grows up and eventually, wow, that's a lot of money because accumulating interest, accumulating money is quite amazing. It's a bit like a compound interest, right? Yeah. 
And and so just have some sort of plan. Just put some money aside in another account you can't really touch easy, and and just have that money as a backup because you know I think the businesses will survive now, particularly the big business. So you look at these big corporates; they're not as money savvy as you think they are. They oh they make plenty of money. Well, they've got plenty of debt too, probably. Yeah. And so if they don't have that cash reserve to be able to get themselves through this, um, and if they lose all their staff on the way through, they're, they're doomed. So they don't have any better chance of survival than you do if they didn't put some money aside. That's right. Mm. It's interesting. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with, they'll tell me they don't know anything about um, their numbers. They don't know anything about their statements. They don't know anything about cash flow. Uh, but I tell them, if you've been in business for more than a couple of months, you actually know how to manage cash flow. Yeah. And so <laughs> they do, because if not, you would have already been bankrupt. Your business would have been closed. So I like to really start with the positive. So anybody who's listening, if you've been around uh, six months or longer, you do know how to manage cash flow. You might not describe it like I do. You might not do it efficiently, but you're doing it. So give yeah. yourselves a pat on the back. Absolutely. I think with, with entrepreneurs, what they don't realize is that most people don't do this. Right, that the people go out there and risk their their lives and their money and their everything else on the line. Most people don't have an appetite for that. Most employed people, and I think that's the thing with small businesses. If you don't have the appetite to, for risk in that situation, then it will kill you ultimately, <laughs> because <Yeah>. the worry <laughs> will kill you, right? Because you can't handle it. So you've got to be able to know the numbers, and if you know the numbers, you don't worry as much. And I think that's where the issue comes. As soon as they get into worry mode, they start doing silly things and then and the business never grows because they're just worried about the wrong things. Yeah, and money stress permeates every aspect of your life. It can affect your health, all your relationships. So you want to get the money piece handled so you can have a, a lower mm. stress life, less anxiety. Yeah, and at the end of the day, Google pretty much can tell you anything about anything. You're probably, there's probably a YouTube, on, <laughs> YouTube videos on financial education anyway. So um, you talked about some, um, some offers for, the, for our listeners that you could give them um, as a special bonus for today. What, what were they you were telling me before? Yeah, so um, if you want to head over to cashcoach.biz, you can download a money meeting agenda because uh, you and I have talked, John, so much about the importance of reviewing your numbers, having a regular time and making it a routine. Uh, so to get people started so you can go off and do it right now, if you head over to cashcoach.biz, you can download that money meeting agenda and awesome. get started today. Cool. Yeah, make do one thing, right? Just do one thing and just make a yeah. start. So I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, um, money's a big topic and I think right now it's probably the most big topic. So I um, really appreciate your time and, and um, I really look forward to um, talking again soon. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been my pleasure.